I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 4, verses 15 through 17. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Good morning. How are we doing? Good. Good to see you. We got some people who are away traveling, uh, going to see family uh, for the Thanksgiving holiday. And then uh, uh, hopefully we have a few people uh, out in the parking lot. We got you in here and we'll just keep going. I hope that you got enough food to eat this holiday. Raise your hand if you got enough to eat. Raise your hand if you're still hungry and we need to feed you, because we can do that. Joy, we need to feed you. You need extra food. (laughs) Raise your hand if you have things to be thankful for. Raise your hand if you had family drama. Oh! <laughs> Just keeping it honest, keeping it real. So, so we'll jump into uh, our text this morning, but we need to uh, step back a little bit and cover some of the ground we covered this last week, where we kind of talked about uh, the spirit in which we hold things. So there's uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 8 that says, Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich, you have begun to reign, and that without us. So there's more going on here than Paul's sarcasm. He's kind of saying uh, a similar phrase to something he already said in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 21b and following. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. So the question I raise is, what is the difference between already you have all you want and already all things are yours? And so we talked about some of the differences between these verses. One focuses on the generosity of God. The other focuses on what I've attained by my own strength and cunning. One results in thanksgiving and gratitude, and the other results in blindness to the needs of others. I'll just take care of myself. Uh, One builds community, one creates isolation, division, independence. One exalts God, the other exalts self. One invites humility, the other grows pride. And so uh, even though they're very similar statements, all things are yours and already you have all you want, the spirit in which we hold those things can be very different. And I just wanted to bring that to our attention today. Uh, because unless you understand the spirit with which Paul is writing to the Corinthians, uh, it's easy to misunderstood or misconstrue his motives, because Paul says some hard stuff. Paul says some hard things that are not pleasant for these people to hear, just as they're not pleasant for us to hear ourselves, even though we're so far removed from them. 
Paul is asking in these next verses for the Corinthian believers to understand the spirit with which he is writing to them. Because if you don't understand the spirit in which he's writing, it makes it difficult for the people hearing it to accept the truth in what he's saying. I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. My dear children. If you don't trust the motives of the people calling you out, if you don't trust the heart of the people telling you the hard things that you need to hear, you're going to have a lot harder time accepting uh, any truth in what they are saying. So uh, there's two sides of this. If you need to speak a truth to someone, if your heart of love motivates you to say the hard words to someone else, uh, I would say pray about your motives. I would say examine your own heart and look at the spirit with which you need to speak that truth to someone else. Where is that coming from? And how is that truth you need to speak connected to love? And when we shy away from speaking the hard truths to the people we love, it creates more problems than the drama created by speaking the truth in love to those who are dear to us. Paul understands this. Paul is saying hard things to people that he loves, not to shame them, but because he loves them like a father. Well, if you're on the receiving end of someone speaking a hard truth to you, uh, you need to understand that your pathway forward forward through repentance, forward through making changes, forward to getting the healing you need, inevitably it's going to require humility on your part. Do you have the humility to hear the hard truths that someone says to you in love? Or do you just write them off? I'm talking about the people who we know are all in it for us. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a spouse. Sometimes it comes from my own children. I really hate that one. Do you have the humility you need to hear the hard words? Well, I think that's a good question. And I I would say keep in mind, too, uh, what humility is. It's not just blindly accepting every harsh or mean word that comes your way. But humility always brings us to an examination of our own heart. An examination and consideration, is there truth here that I can learn from or grow from? Humility uh, brings us there. So Paul says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. He's trying to help them understand the spirit with which he is writing the harsh words to them. The spirit behind Paul's writing, it isn't shame. 
The spirit of his writing is more akin to the love a parent has for their child. See, shame, what does shame have to do with? Shame has to do with uh, winning arguments. It has, shame has to do with putting you in your place. Shame has to do with shutting you up. Shame has to do with letting you know who's boss. Shame has to do with making you feel bad about yourself. You see, this is nowhere in Paul's thinking. His heart is completely different. A heart of love of a parent, sometimes we have to uh, speak up. So think about it. If you're a parent and you're walking around in the field out here in front of the church building, and your toddler wanders out toward the belt line, and there's a hole in the fence, and you see them walking up to the belt line. Are you just going to stand there? Are you going to mumble under your breath, well, they really should know better than that. I taught them better than that. Are you just going to Shake your head and say, oh, they'll learn. They'll figure it out eventually. Natural consequences, right? I guarantee if you are a parent and you love that child, you are going to make some noise. You are not going to be calm, cool, and collected. So what do you make noise about? What do you make noise about in your life? What are the things that bother you enough that you're willing to make a little noise. A lot of times we don't think of that as being church. Church, we go through the motions, we do this. Some of us just are not emotionally invested. Not emotionally invested in some of the things. We, yesterday I heard there was a game between the beavers and the ducks. Some of you may have been more emotionally invested in that than you are right now. Some of you may have made more noise about that game than you are making right now. What does that mean? Can we be emotionally invested and make noise in the right things? See, Paul, he's not tiptoeing. He's saying hard things to the people that they need to hear. But it's not to put them in their place. It's not to shame them. It's not to rub their nose in it. It's because he loves them like a parent. And he's concerned for their well-being and their thriving. You see, Paul understands that you don't tiptoe around sin. You don't poo-poo it. You don't make little accommodations for it. Oh, bless his heart. That's just the way it is sometimes. Or when you do that, you perpetuate it. You allow sin to grow. Paul, he attacks it. So let me ask this question. Who do you have in your life who can tell it to you straight? Who do you have in your life 
who can tell it to you straight? Who are your not tiptoeing around people? Let me just say that as difficult as those people are in some, t- in some ways, people who can tell you the truth straight out of a heart of love, not a mean, complaining spirit, but out of a heart of love, those people are a gift from the Lord. They're a gift. And I'm not talking about people who are mean, people who have some kind of agenda, people who are selfish, people who want something from you. Uh, They're gaslighting you in order to have control or power over you. Gaslighting is a psychological term, you know, to you're trying to convince people that uh, you don't understand. You just don't understand reality. And so you get them to question the reality of the situation in order to control them and have power over them. Uh, Something you're trying to force down their throats. It's not what's going on here, and that's not the motive behind anything Paul is saying. And there are times that we need to be wise because there are people that will do these kinds of things. They will speak what they understand to be a hard truth, but their hearts and their motives are their spirit behind that. We can sense this sometimes. It's dangerous, and it needs to be dismissed, and sometimes it needs to be confronted. So we don't just blindly accept everything that comes our way. But if the heart is something else behind that, if the quality of the person's life, if their level of commitment to us and their faithfulness proved over the course of years, decades sometimes, if they say the hard truths to us, do you have the humility you need to hear those truths? So when people who genuinely love us want good things for us in Christ Jesus, are you able to give them a voice into your life? You see, I think a lot of the mental health, spirituality aside, the mental health consequences that people are experiencing, a lot of times I think, and this is just my opinion, I'm not a trained professional in this or anything, I think a lot of people have mental health issues because they have canceled out every person in their life who can speak a hard truth to them. I'm done with you. I'm just, you're out. And that inevitably gets to be smaller and smaller until you are left alone. I've gotten rid of everyone else who... And then when you're alone, if you could cancel yourself, you would, because you're miserable and isolated and lonely. Paul goes on, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Isn't that a beautiful thing that the gospel does? It creates family. It creates a level of intimacy that is just, it's an ama- there's nothing else like it. When we get it right, there's nothing else like it. So Paul's obviously making a contrast here between you have 10,000 plus of these, but only a few of these. So many of this and not many of these. 
So these ones, you don't have many of them. They need to be held in a special way. They need to be respected in a special way. But let me say something about that 10,000 number. Maybe Paul's estimate is a bit conservative here. We have so many guardians in Christ. Isn't that an amazing thing? I think the enemy's tactic uh, is to make you feel isolated and alone, make you think that no one could possibly understand what you're going through. No one could possibly feel what I'm feeling or th- have the thoughts that I have. And we have so many guardians in Christ. Every person who loves the truth of Jesus is your guardian in Christ. Every person who clings to Jesus more than anyone else is your guardian in Christ. Everyone who is humble, everyone who is meek, everyone who confess their sins and need of Jesus Christ is a guardian for you in the gospel. Everyone who's unsullied and refuses sin, everyone who is sincere in their faith, every rich person who uses their resources for goodly things, every destitute person who just keeps on believing in faith, every pious disciple who believes in Christ, everyone who has a love for truth and righteousness. You have so many guardians in Christ. Jesus has friends everywhere. And I'm just talking about the people who are still alive. I haven't even mentioned the great cloud of witnesses of those who've gone before us. His name is not the Lord of a few. His name is the Lord of hosts. The hosts of heaven. See, heaven is the bigger part of what God is doing. Earth is what was going on down here with us. I think that's the smaller part. We have so many guardians in Christ. Just let that sink in. I think 10,000 is the low number. But it is to contrast, while we have many of these kinds of people, the Lord's friends who come to us and encourage us from wherever, there's not very many usually who we can call a spiritual father or a spiritual mother who can speak the hard truths to us. Um, These special people who the Lord puts in our life, they're connected to us in a special way. Uh, So Paul and even for some in, in Corinth, Apollos, he was a spiritual father to these Corinthian disciples. And he's telling the Corinthians this because he's had to say some hard things in his letter. And he is reminding the disciples of this so that they can understand the spirit behind the hard truths that he has to speak. It's nothing to do with shame. 
It's all the heart of a father, a spiritual father, for the sake of the gospel. But Paul doesn't stop there. He always pushes the boundaries and seems to take things to the next level. And so now Paul lifts up his own life as an example. He puts his own life as an example for scrutiny of the Corinthian believers, not just the Corinthian believers, but for the Lord himself when he says these words. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Do what I'm doing. See, I, I used to have a hard time with this because I thought, oh, the, the audacity to say something like that. Who alone, who but Christ alone could say something like this? Do what I'm doing. I thought, I always knew Paul was bold. Boy, that just seems almost arrogant to me that someone could say something like that. But that was my interpretation as a younger man, and I've lived a little more life. Another idea has captured my imagination. What if this was not spoken in his arrogance and presumption? Hey, look at me. Look what I'm doing. Do what I'm doing. What if instead of being spoken out of his own arrogance and brokenness, what if his heart is the heart of a parent trying to teach their children something? And rather than spoken from that kind of spirit, what if these words are spoken from a spirit of love and humility and desire for your well-being? the kind of heart Jesus had. He could see they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I think, am I living my own life in such a way that I could tell another person Hey, when it comes to a relationship with Jesus Christ, look at me. Follow me. Do what I am doing. Follow my example. Let's do this together. Can you say that to people? If you just do what I'm doing, you're going to be okay. If you're not able to say that, why not? If you can't say, follow me as I follow Christ, imitate me, why can you not say that? The answer to that question probably shows you something you need to work on in your life. If you say, hey, don't do what I'm doing, what is the reason why you have to say, don't do what I'm doing? Do what I say, don't follow my example. Is there a dissonance or a divide between the words that you profess and the life that you are actually living? 
See, the question isn't whether or not that answer is true. The question is, what are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? If you cannot be an example for someone else in Jesus Christ, why is that? And what are you doing about it? See, I know that you do not live fully up to the words that you profess. You know that I do not either, because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But that does not mean we give up trying to do something about it. I like the quotes from old guys. This guy's an old guy. Dead and gone a long time ago. Martin Luther. Temptations, of course, cannot be avoided. But because we cannot prevent the birds from flying over our heads, there is no need that we should let them nest in our hair. See, a big problem that I see in the Lord's Church today is not that we have secret sin in our lives. That is a big problem. But the bigger problem, I think, is where we have given up trying to do anything about it. Oh, it's just going to be there. Let's put that in a box and forget about it as best we can. Where have you given up the fight? See, too many of us have made little accommodations for sin to go on and be perpetuated. And we have given up any idea of attempting to live in such a way that I can say, do what I am doing. Follow my example. Be like me. Come see how I live in my way of life. And if you do that, you will grow. And you'll get closer to the Lord. And you'll love him more and you'll trust him more. We are in desperate need of people to model what a good and godly life looks like. Model what faithfulness and discipleship looks like. Model what service and love looks like. We need those spiritual fathers and mothers Are we, as a church, raising up new generations of spiritual fathers and mothers? We need to be. We need to be. Are you going to be able to be that kind of person for another? Paul goes on, he says, for this reason, I have sent you Timothy. For what reason? To imitate me and what I'm doing. For this reason, I have sent you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ. A way of life in Christ Jesus with agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. He's 
Paul isn't just saying, follow my example. He's saying, here, here is a living example for you of someone who's faithful in the Lord. Do what I'm doing and look at him and look what he's doing and do that. And we know Timothy, he's not an old guy. He's a young guy. It's not just Paul tooting his own horn, but Paul is sending Timothy to the Corinthians to give them a model, a living model, of what a faithful Christian looks like. I think we are too timid trying to be an example for others to follow. We just dismiss that idea completely sometimes. But what if we tried what if you tried? What if you're a guy who gets about 85% of it right? Can you model some of that and encourage the guy who only gets about 65% of it right? If you are a godly woman who gets about 97% of things right, can you be an example for those who get about 80% of things right? But I think our most desperate need for mentors and living examples is for spiritual mothers and fathers to model for us what it looks like to fight sin and not give up. See, I may get more than 85% of things right, but I also need to model for others what do you do about the stubborn ones, the last little bit, the 15% or so, that just, it's when I'm tired, when I'm alone, when, when those times come, what do you do about that? Have you given up the fight? Or will you teach others to fight with you? Are you going to do that alone? Because alone you're going to fail. Or can you have a community of trust and love to support you in doing the hard things? We need models of what it looks like to fight sin. We need models of what it looks like to not give up struggling against our shortcomings. We need models of confession. We need models of what asking for forgiveness looks like. We need models not where every hair and is in place and but is real about the hard things in life. See, Timothy is not there because he has everything perfect. He's there to model what a way of life looks like that deals with the whole person, that can own when we get it right, and we can own when we don't get it quite right, but we've not given up the fight. And that's the work of discipleship, and that's the work we need to be about in the church. And the spiritual fathers and mothers in our lives, the ones who keep encouraging us, don't give in, don't give up, keep your hands on the plow, keep your eyes forward, let's take the next step together. Let's do this together. We're in this together. I don't get it perfect either, but we can do this together. 
when we get that right, look out. Look out, Eugene. Because revival is coming. We need models who show us what asking for forgiveness looks like, models of what a godly man looks like, a man who can say, I'm sorry to his wife, a man who can own up to his shortcomings, even with his children, a person who can model what love for Christ looks like that will not quit ever and will not give in and will not give up. What is it going to take for you to become the kind of Jesus lover that you can say without hesitation, therefore I urge you to imitate me? Have you even, even really thought about that as a possibility? Some of you become arrogant as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. See, when we give up the fight, we act like no one sees. We act like, well, it's not that big a deal. God, does he really care? I don't know. We act like no one is ever going to find out our deep, dark sins ever. and we become arrogant in the fact that sometimes the, the idea of our own shame that will come at our judgment, it never even crosses our mind. It doesn't even moderate our behavior at all. This idea that God sees and that God cares and that God knows. But there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. Scriptures teach us that too. See, it's clear from the context in 1 Corinthians that there was a lot of stuff these Christians had said in Paul and Apollos' absence. Uh, They had said things, and rumor of those things had come back to Paul from Apollos, from what the report he heard from Chloe's household, from the letter that they wrote to him. When you say someone's har- something harsh to someone on like a social media platform, maybe you know the person, maybe you don't. All kinds of awful stuff are said in, in the social media platform. Have you ever noticed that? How does that change? When you have typed something and then that person shows up on your doorstep and they ring the doorbell and you're looking at them face to face and you can see into their eyes. Is that a different situation? Does it feel different to you? That's what Paul is saying here. Saying you've said all of this stuff. But get ready. I'm on my way. 
Some of you become arrogant as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What is the fruit growing in your life? Are you a proud man? Are you an arrogant woman? Are you unable to apologize? Are you an anxious person? And the only way that you can handle your anxiety is to smoke a joint or drink a couple glasses of wine or whatever. What about anger? How do you handle your anger and your frustration? Is it in such a way that everyone knows when they need to tiptoe and be careful around dad because he can blow up at any time? How about humility? Do you have that? Or is it just pride that's growing in your life? Pride that blinds you to the needs and values of others. Pride that exalts the self over God. See, pride had led the Corinthians to play their ridiculous game of choosing favorites. I am of this camp. I am of this camp. I want to do things. And looking at worldly wisdom and eloquence. And it was pride that got them there to the point where the church is ready to divide in these factions. Let's look at these last few words about power. See, I'm going to hear, I hear the words you're talking, but where's the power? For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. We know there were a lot of ecstatic, charismatic gifts in the Corinthian church. All kinds of gifts of the Holy Spirit that were amazing. And they had that. They had all these gifts. And they were still dead wrong about some things. So the power that Paul is talking about. More than just spiritual gifts that are given, the power he's talking about is a truly transformed and sincere life in Christ. A life that is filled with the fruit of the Spirit, becoming a person who has truly been transformed in the power of Jesus Christ, become a person who can say, follow me as I follow Christ. Are you a different person than you used to be because of your faith in Jesus Christ? If not, where have you given up? Then Paul kind of brings things back in a little bit. He says, what do you prefer? 
Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? See, Paul is dealing with things head on, and, he, and when he writes this letter, I mean, it ends up to being this gift for us that we get to Christians throughout generations and centuries have been blessed by his efforts to put this in a letter. But Paul, he's wanting to help deal with situations up front, head on, in a spirit of love, in a spirit that's not interested in shame, in a spirit of a parent wanting, wanting good things. And so he hopes that by putting this all in the letter now, he can come to them later with a spirit of love and gentleness. He wants the face-to-face meeting that's going to happen to be characterized by love and gentleness because he has already put the hard words in the letter. And the hard hearts that need to repent have already repented. One of the things you'll learn in life, hopefully, uh, is that when you come on strong in a head-to-head confrontation with people, things get heated so quickly that even if there is merit in the words that you are saying to another person, even if there is truth in what you are speaking, people, by a head-on-head, straightforward conversation, they will feel so violated that they won't be able to hear the truth in what you're saying. But Paul, by putting the way he does this, by putting it in a letter, I'm, for, I'm sure when this was read, people were shamed, people were upset, people were angry, people were sad. This would be a hard letter to hear when it was first, like, and you're the ones who are clearly. But by putting it in a letter, Paul gives these people, who he loves like a father, time to think about it. He gives the people a chance to reflect and weigh the truth of what he was saying. They could look at that letter again and again, and they could look at their own hearts and their own lives and weigh the truth of the situation. And it removes the immediate emotion tied to it all and allows them to examine their own hearts. That is some of the brilliance of the way that the Lord works and the Spirit works in his holy word in scriptures. This letter, it gave people to examine themselves. It gave people a chance to repent. It gave people to consider the changes that they need to make in order to do things better. What kind of wisdom am I living by? Is it worldly wisdom or is it the wisdom of God? That takes time to think about and internalize. So I think... Many times, more important than the answers we think we have are the kinds of questions we are asking. This is our last thing, and we'll close. Jim, you can come up. Key questions from 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 21. Who do you have in your life who can tell it to you straight? Do you have the humility of heart you need to accept the truth, the truth of hard things people you love say to you? 
Are you living the kind of life that you can say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ? If you can't say that, if you're not there yet, what is keeping you from saying that? Where have you given up the fight against sin? The fight to become holy and righteous. The fight to become transformed into the image of Christ. Who You can say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. Is the power of the kingdom of God recognizable in the fruit of your life? Can you say truly, I am not the man I used to be? Real change is possible in Jesus Christ. There's a room full of people who can say, I am not the same as I used to be. And there's more to go. It just gets richer and deeper. And what Christ has done on our behalf, it becomes more and more beautiful. You learn to speak the secret language of the Holy Spirit. You can live a transformed life in the power of the kingdom of God. That's a real possibility for us. And we don't have to wait. We can begin to do that now. How are you answering these questions? It's good to think about. If you have needs to put on the Lord in baptism, maybe you've not thought seriously about that. Maybe you've just kind of gotten comfortable with where things are. When is your next step going to be? If you need prayers for this church, if there's stuff that you need to get out, if you want a community of people, if you need confession, if you just want prayers for health and blessing, <coughs> that's okay. You know, we have this time afterwards, <coughs> not just to kind of say that and move on, but to have a time where we can really legitimately think about some of these things. And it's not just something I kind of say offhand, and then I expect no response from anyone ever. But I get that it's hard to come up and kind of put things open like that. But there's a time for that. I'm just saying there's a time for it, and we cannot give that up. But also, if it's something you need to come talk to me personally about, I am wanting to start this men's sauna discipleship group. I'm praying about it. I've talked to a few of you guys about it. If you are ready to hit the gas, I know it's a step out of our comfort zone. Come talk to me. Because I want to be a guy who can say, follow me as I follow Christ. Not because I'm the guy up here preaching sermons and I do a good job and this, that, or the other. Because Christ is worth it. So many of us are living our lives in Christ like we're playing the game of golf. It's just me out there and the beautiful 
grounds. Me, I'm hitting that ball all by myself. We need to learn, especially some of us guys, how to play as a team because we can go to a whole other level and we can live a whole other kind of life. Real change is possible in Jesus Christ. And the power of Christian community as brothers and sisters, as we disciple one another, as we learn how to be real about our stuff, as we learn to help one another. So whatever needs you have that you want to share, I'll be up here. You can come share those with me. You have that opportunity. Uh, Let's stand and sing together now. When we 